That was a struggle. Wow. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome into Living Off the Land. This is episode 272. Apologize as I wipe beer off of the screen of my laptop. I'm Dan, here with Steven. <clears throat> episode 272, coming to you. And, uh, Steve, it's Wednesday night. It is Wednesday night. You know what that means. It's LTL. Prime and ready for action. And as you saw... Or heard just a minute ago, Dan. A bit of a struggle with the beer can. Uh, yeah, my, my nails, my nails are too short to, to to get the 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 tab and start open the what, beer can. this past can. Sunday's Browns game, have you been biting them down to the nubs or what? Apparently, I guess so. <laughs> but anyway, what is the beer that you're drinking? Ah, uh, the beer of the week. Ah. Uh, we are full in on spooky season right now. We are. Uh, Tomorrow's the start of the 13 days of Halloween, as is the 18th of October today. That's right. We are just under two weeks out from Halloween. Mm -hmm. And I have the all-time favorite beer of this podcast. I believe it is the only beer to be graded in the nines ever. Hmm. And, of course, if you've been following along with this podcast... uh, for the last uh, few years, you will know that uh, I am, of course, talking about only one beer out there. And that is the Imperial Pumpkin Ale from Fatheads Brewery. That would be Spooky Tooth. Spooky. It is spooky. It is the pumpkin brew with bite. Hmm. Uh, Spooky Tooth, and of course, well, you know, if we were... If we're anything on this podcast, that is, that's unprepared, and I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the beer facts pulled up yet. As I was talking about this beer, uh, so uh, let me just pull this up right here. Uh. <laughs> you've got a haunted house. You've got bats. You've got the the moon behind. I'm just looking at the can art here. Uh, you've got uh, the Fatheads logo with a red cape on there, and it's like. Uh, it's like an orange, almost uh, bad moon rising kind of a sky. It's uh, it's pretty nice, actually. Indeed. So, uh, Spooky Tooth from Fatheads is a rich amber color with aroma of sweet pumpkin pie and savory spices. Creamy mouth... <laughs> Creamy mouthfeel, pause, with... Fl- <laughs> With flavors of pumpkin, hey now. followed by sweet malt, sweet malt pie crust, spice, hints of brown sugar, and a clean finish. Uh, this gets an 87 on Beer Advocate. <laughs> what in the world is going on? What are you doing? Champ making his presence known. Being a little whiny son of a gun. Hey! What are you doing? I have no idea what he's even looking at. He's looking like behind the door or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he found he's, something. He's getting no spooked idea. right now. That's what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he's, he's, he's spooky right now. Uh, anyway, so 87 on Beer Advocate. Uh, 
Fathead's Spooky Tooth is a 99% ABV. Hmm. Seriously? Are you going to do this the whole time? Is that what... Champ, you're not rated a 9. That's We're right. talking about the beer. And speaking of nine, this is in the nines, and uh, I think I'm going to go with the same score that I have always with this beer, and this is a 9.4. 9.4, ladies and gentlemen. 9.4. Spooky Tooth is the best pumpkin beer that's out there on the market. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't really think that there's anything else really to say about it. There's nothing that really comes close as far as the uh, uh, the pumpkin beer uh, market. So, uh, Spooky Tooth, grab yourself a... Uh, they come in four packs. Grab yourself a four pack from your uh, local grocery store, uh, liquor store. Uh, you can go to Fatheads in Middleburg Heights uh, and buy yourself some there, either on tap or in the cans. Um, get yourself a growler uh, for uh, trick or treating, handing out candy on Halloween, and uh, just enjoy it because it is fantastic. That is Spooky Tooth from Fatheads. 9.4, also equivalent to the strongest earthquake that's ever happened on planet Earth, and also the yeah. highest player rating on FIFA. That's exactly well, that's 94. Exa- that's exactly why I uh, picked it. <clears throat> False. False. Anyway, so that is the beer of the week. At any rate, we had a few episodes missed uh, in recent weeks, mostly due to me being sick and a couple of other external factors. Uh, we didn't get to talk about something that was actually quite. Uh, quite big that happened in Cleveland um, at the end of September, and that was the ending of one of the maybe greatest managerial careers in sports history. Yes. That is, I'm talking, of course, about Terry Francona. Yeah. And, calling uh, it a career with the Guardians. You know what's interesting is it's a little it's it's a little apropos, too, because uh, he did not want it uh, made to be a big deal, and because we just didn't have ep- episodes during that time period, uh, we did not make it a big deal. So, nah. <clears throat> um, you know, it, it, it's kind of tough because, you know, the Guardians just kind of limped towards the end of uh, this baseball season. Uh, ended up being, uh, record-wise, the worst season of the Terry Francona era. Um, but uh, that does not diminish or uh, put a damper on just an incredible career. I mean, you think about... Uh, what this man accomplished as a manager, he almost, and unfortunately, I say almost, ended the two biggest droughts in the sport. Yeah. One, and then, of course, the He other. did successfully do it with the Boston Red Sox, the curse of the great Bambino. Couldn't quite get it done uh, with the Guardians going to the World Series in 2016. Having a 3-1 lead, you know, you talk about the dichotomy of a sports season for a city. 2016, we had the Cavaliers come back from a 3-1 deficit to clinch the city's first title in 52 years. And then not just three or four months later, uh, we blew a 3-1 lead in a championship series. Crazy. That's yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't think that's something that you probably can say that another city has done. I mean, that three-one loss by the Guardians would have been received a heck of a lot harder had it not been for what the Cavs did just a few months prior. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah. It seemed like people brushed that defeat. I mean, it hurt, but... It oh, like it people, really did hurt, yeah. It hurt, but it seemed like people were able to brush it off a lot more easily because of the Cavaliers' success. No doubt, no doubt. And, uh, yeah, I think... I think it's incredible. And, again, we, we talked about how uh, this was actually his worst statistical season from a record standpoint. But... <sighs> And obviously they didn't they didn't win the whole thing, which obviously is the main objective. So, you know, they didn't do that. But you talk about a guy and an organization, uh, because obviously the front office is um kin to this as well. A front office and manager that did more with less over the period of a decade. I don't know if you can really say anybody else has done that. It's very hard to compete in baseball, which is a sport that does not have any salary cap, that has only limited revenue sharing compared to other sports. Yep. You know, when you are a small market franchise like Cleveland and you have to go up against the resources that the big market teams have, it's it's not a level playing field. And right. what the Guardians were able to do over the course of the 11 years of Franklin's tenure, they won 921 games, uh, winning about 55% of the games, which is ex- pretty amazing when you think about it. There was a four-year stretch from 2016 to 2019 where 91 games was their worst season. Yeah. You know, 102 wins in 2017 was their high watermark. That was the year after the World Series team, which they won 94 games. 2019, they won 93 games and somehow didn't make the playoffs. That's how strong the American League was that year. Yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. I actually did a double take when I saw that. I was like, wait, they won 93 games that year? You know, it's just, it was kind of unlucky. It was kind of like, you remember back in 2005 when I think the, may have won the same number of games yeah. that, that season and, yeah. and ended up not making it that year either. So yeah. it's, you know, it is what it is. But if you look at the totality of Francona's managerial career, and a lot of people don't realize this, he actually managed Philadelphia for four years before he ended up going that to Boston. That was his first job, yeah. You know, from 97 to 2000. But over the course of a 23-season career, Francona's teams won 1,950 games Yeah, in total. That is, that is remarkable. Crazy. 744 with Boston, 921 with Cleveland, and 285 with Philadelphia. Uh, that's incredible. Two World Series titles, 2004 and 2007 with the Red Sox, of mm-hmm. course. Only won one division title in Boston. That was in 2007. Here in Cleveland... Won the AL Central four times, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2022. Uh, I believe know, he won manage, AL Manager of the Year a few times in his Cleveland tenure 16 as well. was definitely one of them. And I want to believe 22 yeah, was the he other. did last year, too. Yeah, which was completely deserved. The, the team was sure. not expected to no. contend at all in 22. No. And they not only did that, won, beat the Rays in the first round, and then uh, had the Yankees on the ropes before ultimately losing that series in five games. Yeah. Under controversial circumstances when they elected to delay game five when it was barely even yeah. raining. Right. You know, <laughs> 
Break out your conspiracy theories which allowed on that one. Of the Yankee, which allowed one of the Yankees pitchers to get an extra day of rest, and he was actually able to start. The game NYCFC play. ended up playing that same night, so apparently it wasn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've we we've had our we've had our issues with uh, the weather in uh, playoff games. Uh, look no further than Game Seven of the World Series in 2016. Yeah, rain delay. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. Obvious Hall of Fame manager. Uh. You know, it's obviously sad to see him go. Probably is time though, as he obviously has some health issues he needs to deal with, um, and he's into his 60s now. I mean, you know, he's a baseball lifer, but you could definitely tell that his physical health was definitely taking a toll on him, especially the last couple years. Um, So I think it's the right time for him to step away. It's going to be interesting to see who the Guardians – uh, make as their next hire to be the manager. Obviously, you're going to have some uh, shoes to fill. The old adage is you don't want to fill the shoes of the guy. You want to fill the shoes who filled the shoes of the guy. So whoever is going to become the next manager of the, of the Guardians has some enormous shoes to fill. Indeed they do. The good news is, is that unlike the other teams in the city, it seems like the Guardians... They don't give up on managers very easily. We've had a few guys that have stuck around for a while, starting with Mike Hargrove in the mm-hmm. 90s. And then Francona's tenure has been the longest in 11 years. But, like, Charlie Manuel, I think, was here for four years. Eric Wedge was here for four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember how long Manny Acto was along after, after him. It had but, to be at uh, least three. Yeah. So it's not like we're just – you know, ditching coaches after a year or two, which like you see with the Browns or sometimes with the Cavaliers. So yeah, whoever's going to come in here is going to get a decent amount of rope. Sure. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But again, I think it goes back to what you said before. It's amazing how fine, <coughs> how fine the lines of a legacy really are. Because if Francona had been able to finish in 2016, Oh, he go down. He would go down as he would go down as one of the greatest managers of all time. Yeah, it's... I mean, I, 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 I do think he's one of the greatest managers of this generation. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But if he was able to uh, break two different curses and win world championships with two different teams, that puts him in the upper echelon of uh, managers all time. You win championships with multiple organizations. You win uh, three total and break two long curses. I mean, that's that's stuff that just, you know, nobody in the history of the you game would make it. You would make a case for him being the greatest ever. Yeah. If, if the Guardians win one. Yeah. But, unfortunately, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that game seven. So... Um, but yeah, so, uh, good news is, is he is apparently slated to stay with the organization in some capacity, uh, looking towards more of a consultant role. And what's funny and what's interesting was he said that, uh, he basically said the old, the old wrestling adage of never say never. 
And he's like, he's like, I don't think I'm going to manage again, but I can't ever say that for sure. But what he did say was was interesting. He said, I I couldn't see myself managing for another uh, organization. Hmm. So if Francona were to ever come back, it would be with the Guardians. That is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. I mean, hard to imagine him doing that in any other role other than like a caretaker role. If like somebody got fired at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But. But yeah, so uh, congratulations to uh, Terry Francona on an incredible career. Uh, obviously, first ballot Hall of Famer, and uh, we'll see where the Guardians go from here. Uh, I don't get the sense that they're in any type of hurry to make a managerial hire. Um, you know, obviously, you're going to see it before, uh, well before spring training. Um, I would, I would suspect you probably. You probably have a manager in place by the by the winter meetings. So which is I believe is in December. But uh yeah, that's probably what you're looking at. You would probably want somebody to at least have input on <coughs> the moves that they're making in the off season and usually that starts getting going around the time of the winter meetings. So yep. Yep, the hot that. stove. So uh <coughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So, uh, what about the MLB playoffs going on right now? We are in the LCS. Uh, Philadelphia is flexing their muscles right now. Uh, the Phillies won 10 nothing last night. I do believe I mentioned the possibility that they would do this again, that they would just kind of sneak their way into the field and then just turn it on again like they did last year. <clears throat> the rest... Yeah. I do think I I had Arizona actually doing something. I don't I, you know if I go back and rewind that prediction thing from July. I think I did pretty well in the National League. The American League I did not have anything right. Like I didn't think Texas was going anywhere, and I thought Houston was going down, but they they're there right now. So yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. The uh, it looks like the Astros are well. Last I checked, it looks like the Astros are getting back into that LCS series, even though they lost. Uh, uh, they lost the first two at home. Uh, they are up five to two in the seventh inning of Game Three at Arlington. Um, so that is probably going to end up turning back into a series, even though uh, Texas took a two zero commanding uh, lead on the road. Uh, the Phillies won, as I mentioned, both games in uh, at the bank. At Citizen Bank Field, uh, they are headed to Arizona uh, for games three, four, and five of that series. Uh, obviously, must win for Arizona in Game Three, uh, but uh, yeah, Philly is looking really tough right now. Looks like Texas has not lost a game this entire postseason so far. They haven't. That's incredible. Uh, they're lo- I-, I mentioned they're losing five to two right now in Game Three, so uh, the Astros are fighting back. It's in the seventh inning there, so. The Astros are not not going to go down without a fight for sure, but uh, but yeah, so um, that is what we're looking like with baseball. My um, people over in Philadelphia are not going to like this prediction, but I have a feeling that this is going to end similarly for Philadelphia like it did last year. They're going to make the World Series, but they're going to get beat by whoever comes out of the AL side. Well, we shall see, but we'll see about that. Yeah. So. Um. 
Yeah. So anyway, uh, we haven't talked a lot of basketball on this podcast, but uh, the NBA season is has completely snuck up on us. The Cavs open the season next week. Uh, so that is certainly interesting. Uh, how are you feeling about the Cavs going into the season? Man, I don't know how I feel. They they were so good for a lot of last year, and then they just completely went belly up in the postseason. You know, I left a bad taste in everyone's mouth, and you know, it just it makes you wonder about what the team's mindset is going into this year. You know. I mean, this is an enormous season. Yeah, <coughs> really um, is because it's like your third go around with this with this core now, pretty much. Yeah, well, and, I mean, second season with Donovan Mitchell, but yeah, right. Uh, but th- I mean, this is like he's he is one year away from free agency. So if if you know. The Cavs don't make serious moves this year as far as looking like they're going to contend for a championship. You might have to look to blow it up if if that's not the case. I, not necessarily blow it up, but you're probably going to move Mitchell because he's probably not going to sign with us long term. So um, everybody else we seem to have, uh, you know, under contract or on their rookie deal or or things of that sort. The interesting thing is the Cavs kept their core in place. There, you know, there were some rumors about, you know, possibly moving off Jared Allen after the horrific series he had against the Knicks. Um, but the Cavs decided not to do that, which I think ultimately was good. Um, you know, we get so caught up in the moment with these teams and these athletes and uh, you know these you know these different sports. To where in the moment when something is going like really bad, you're like, oh my God, we need to change it. Like, we need to trade this guy. We need to cut this guy. We need to sign this guy. I think an, the Cavs did the right thing, exercising in continuity and uh, exercising in restraint. Because I'm sure that, you know, we know who the owner is, right? The man is not patient. No. And that's not that's not a knock. I mean, this is the guy that brought us our first championship in 52 years, so this is not a knock. You mentioned the fact that uh, the Cavs, along with the Browns, have a propensity to uh, pull shoot and pull the trigger on uh, coaches um, on a fairly aggressive uh, state where you know, most times you don't see coaches get fired after a year, but it happens. It's happened with the Cavs a couple times. It certainly happened with the Browns. Um, so I think the Cavs exercised caution this offseason, and I like that they did that. Um, this team was really good in the regular season last year. We got a bad matchup in the playoffs in the first round. Couple that with the fact that the Cavs had a glaring weakness on their team last year. We did not have enough outside shooting at all. No. They addressed that head-on in free agency this year, uh, signing both Max Struess from Miami and George Niang from Philadelphia. 
that should certainly help. Max Truce will go immediately into the starting lineup. Um, we'll take Isaac Okoro's spot in the rotation. And George Yang is going to be one of the first guys off the bench in the Cavs rotation this year. So, um, yeah. The Cavs don't have... They really don't have much of a weakness right now, in my opinion. Wouldn't appear that way on paper. Does that make them the fav- does Does that mean I'm saying that they're going to be the favorites to to represent the East in the finals? No. Got to prove that they can win the playoffs. Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. Do I think we're trending towards another top four finish in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I think so. I'd be more inclined to believe that. Yeah. Would you say that the Cavs are if if we set let's say. Let's say we set the Cavs over-under at their win total from last year, 51. Are you betting the over or the under? Hmm. I mean, if I had to guess it, I'd probably say the over, but I'm not very confident on that. Yeah. I'd probably put them at like 53 and 29, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think that that number is – pretty spot on to be quite honest with you um you know they're not a team that's going to go out and win 60 games not nor you know we've seen Cavs teams in the past yeah, that have won I, 60 I think that's games. above their ceiling I that can't doesn't see that. winning that amount of games doesn't really do anything for me anymore so Cavs have only done that twice in their history I believe 2009 and 2010 indeed even the championship season they only won 57 yeah <laughs> only yeah but um yeah, maybe that wasn't the right characterization, but that is still a lot. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I think 51 is like almost like right on the money for me. I think they're probably going to – it's going to be a different 51, right? Like the Cavs kind of – I don't want to say kind of limped into the playoffs last year, but they, they were – They were playing their best basketball down the stretch. Yeah. They had two the middle parts with, of the – the middle parts of the season, they were trending at like a 53-54 win pace. There were two times where they were playing really lights out, I remember. One was right at the start of the year where they had that eight-game win streak. And then there was another run from like late January and through like early March where they were you know, really just knocking teams off left and right. Yeah. But that last month of the season wasn't quite so great. You know? Yeah. And maybe that was part of what was going on in the postseason. But again, like you said, the Knicks were – a team that matched up really well against the Cavs, and it seemed yep. like the Cavs didn't, you know, for whatever reason, they just, um, in three of the games, they got blown out. You know, game. Yeah. Well, no, actually, it was just two, but it seemed like they were all ending the same way, where Knicks, Cavs wouldn't score, the Knicks would have the ball, they would miss the initial shot, but then they would get in an offensive rebound or two and then eventually score. And yeah. it's just, you know, it was the same thing over and over again. So... You know, it's it's just a matter of maturity and just having that extra it that they just didn't have when it came to those, you know, win or go home games at the end of the season. So I think that's something that really only comes with time and ultimately with experience, more so in the NBA than I think any other sport. You could it could be argued. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I also think it's you know, it's time for Evan Mobley to uh, to really hit the ascent button. He needs to be an all-star this year. 
that would be the progression for him. He's been he's he he was he had a really good rookie year. He had a pretty good year last year. Uh, he needs to take that step in year three, um, because the Cavs, as far as a championship contender, are going to go. They're going to go as far as Evan Mobley's development takes them. We are not going to win an NBA championship, or really even come close to winning an NBA championship, with Donovan Mitchell being the only star slash superstar on the team. You could say Darius Garland is a star, and I would I would venture to agree with that. But, and I love Darius Garland. Don't 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 get me wrong. DG the PG, you know. Um, but. you're not going to be relying on Darius Garland to take this franchise where it needs to go. Darius Garland is a nice piece. He's a complimentary piece. He's not the guy on a championship contender. Evan Mobley has the athletic and the physical skill set and ability to be one of those guys, to be a Kevin Garnett, to be a Chris Bosh, to be you know somebody like that who both of those guys, while – while never winning championships on their own, they were enormous parts of championship contenders and carried their own franchises deep into playoff runs when they were singular stars on their own teams. That's who Evan Mobley needs to become, somebody like that. Um, he's very capable of becoming 100%, that. absolutely. And I think he's going to develop into that. Now, will that happen? We, I, I want that to happen this year. Maybe it doesn't happen this year. Maybe it happens in year four or year five. I think it's going to happen. I would love for it to happen this year because I think if it happens this year, the Cavs are going to be able to challenge the Celtics teams, uh, the Bucks now especially swinging that trade for Damian Lillard. You know, we're going to see how that works out. But Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo on the same team, I mean, holy crap. Yeah, that's that was a power move. Yeah, right there by you know fear the deer is now a very real thing. Right, because they they broke up a they broke up a champion a core that had previously won them an NBA championship. Yep. In order to get Damian Lillard, um, so they're obviously going to be formidable. Uh, the Cavs are in there. Um, you know who knows what happens with the Knicks? The Knicks beat us in the playoffs. We have to take them seriously. Yeah. Um. You know who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. Heat. The Heat are always going to be there, you know. Playoff Jimmy. Um, yeah, they seem to be the opposite of the Cavs right now. They seem to be the team that just kind of lollygags in the regular season. They just barely got in with the play-in tournament, and then yeah. all of a sudden they make they make it on the doorstep of you know the title again, like they did yeah. the year in the bubble. So, yeah. I mean, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, like I said, the Cavs uh, start their um quest to avenge last year's playoff disappointment uh starting next week. So you know, we'll see what happens. It like I said, it's it's really snuck up on us. Or at least me. Yeah, it definitely has me too. Um another interesting point of the NBA and uh it's been a topic of conversation for me, I know, because you know, I am much much into uh, the goings on with uh, in all sports, really, but 
uh, in the NBA because it changes so frequently in the NBA, uh, the uniforms. Have you seen the mock-up of the Cavs City Edition uniforms this year? No. Okay. So I will show you this, and I need you to give me your honest and unfiltered opinion on the podcast. Okay. Okay, so I'm looking at a solid wine jersey here with the the gold lettering that says the land, and then you've got the letter. It's like the land is kind of diagonal one direction, and the number is diagonal down the other way. It's actually kind of plain besides that. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's like a 5 or 6 out of 10 jersey as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's a 3 for me. I don't, oh, oh, I don't even, like this Oh, even all. harsher. All right. I don't like this at all. I don't know if it's the lighting that uh, that the jersey the is. The lighting does the not look good in that picture because you can see how pale the, the, the mannequin looks. I'm not going to be able to see the numbers on TV of these jerseys, these gold jerseys. Mm. It's a very, it, you know, it, it it is the new Cavs wine and gold. You know, we had LeBron for the second time. The gold was literally like almost yellow. Yeah which is very easy to see uh, numbers, either if you're at the game or you're on TV. Um, this is more so of that dull, like, New Orleans Saints-type gold mm. um, that the Cavs have seemingly switched to, which I like, but I don't know. I don't like those. But the referees could have a hard time signaling foul calls and they can't read the numbers. I don't <laughs> like those at all, to be honest with you. I really don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting older. <laughs> I just don't. Um, I've always been – I mean, you know me. I've always been simplistic with uniforms, always. I've never liked the pomp and circumstance and the flair and the, you know, of these, you know, intricately designed uniforms. I've never liked them at all. I have to say this is one thing the Browns actually get right. Yeah, okay. They they decided to wear white jerseys this past week with with white helmet. That's like the most radical change they've made in a really really stormtrooper. Which hey hey we won. We're back in on the stormtrooper look. Remember if you remember correctly, the week after the Steelers game, I was like, I never want to see those white helmets ever again. <laughs> but no, hey, we're back in. The Browns generally wear the same jerseys, same color combinations, same striping, even that. They have for years and years and years. Aside for that five year period where like they, had they the... put browns on the on the pant, like that was a that was oh, like a radical that was like a super radical change. Yeah, that was that you was know? the five year period where they had the worst uniforms in all of sports. Compare that with the Cavaliers who just come out with new uniform designs. Almost like on a candy. yearly basis, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous, quite frankly. Yeah. My I mean, my favorite two periods of Cavs basketball, not perhaps not surprisingly. 1990 through 1994, where they never changed jerseys. And then again from 2003 to 2010, where they, again, never changed jerseys. Mm -hmm. So not to mention that those were, you know, aside from maybe the 95 to 98 team, which had the which had the swoosh, which those are a very divisive one. I feel like some people you basically either love or hate those. So I'm the not going to say the baby blue ones. Yeah. The baby blue with the swoosh yeah. across. Front. Like I'm, I'm not going to say one way or the other on those, but like, I really like the, the dark blue and the orange that they had in, in the early nineties. And then again, the LeBron 1.0 era wine and gold 
which those are my favorite jerseys the Cavaliers have ever had, actually. And I was extremely crestfallen when they went away from those jerseys in 2011. But I understood why they did, given the circumstances of the decision and all of that. Felt like they had to rebrand or whatever. But the fact that the Cavaliers feel the need to just change their jerseys every year like this is just it's just maddening it, it almost yeah. makes it it's almost gives the team a little bit of an identity crisis i feel like and it's well it's so completely this, unnecessary the one that i showed you that's the city edition uniform which across the nba changes every year um their normal uniforms they've had now i think this is going on three years so um but yeah this is the this is so the, that's two different rebrandings in the last oh uh, i know Oh no, no, years. trust me. I know that they they I they do rebrand their uniforms more than probably any other NBA team there is. But I'm just saying like that specific jersey I showed you, that that jersey changes every year for every single team. Yeah, that's I'm not like really a, a favor of that either. Yeah, that's but, that's like a fourth alternate. Know, whatever. Um, the NBA does their thing. It is what it yeah. is. So, um but yeah, the Cavaliers open the season uh this week. Um should be fun. Uh, I think the I think this Cavs team is going to be a lot of fun. I think they are they they have added some shooting, uh, which is great, and I think that's going to open things up for everybody else. I I expect the Cavs to be much better offensively this year. Now with the additions that they made, will they maybe take a little bit of a step back defensively? I don't know. I'm hoping not, but I don't know. A lot of times when you add something, you have to subtract something. So they're adding offense and shooting. Probably means the guys that are shooting are not going to be the best defenders, and uh, opposing teams will probably pick on them a little bit. So, do you? So there's one question I really wanted to ask you before yeah. we move off this subject. Do you feel like this season, much like this season, is a win or else year for Kevin Stefanski with the Browns? Do you feel like it's that kind of a year for J.B. Bickerstaff and the Cavs? Uh, well, so I think for Stefanski, he has to get to the playoffs. For Bickerstaff, just getting to the playoffs is not going to be enough. Bickerstaff has to win a first-round series. Yeah, I would agree. If the Cavs get to the semifinals and then get bounced by, like, Milwaukee, I mean, are you or, or Boston, I mean – are you really going to be? Are, are we really going to be upset about that? No. But let's say there's so let's say there's not there's a four or five matchup. Uh, let's say I mean hell, we might play the Knicks again in the first round. We lose the Knicks again. I mean, whether it's the Knicks or Miami or Philly or whomever. Yeah. Again, look at who the owner is. I mean, I don't think an exit like particularly if it's in the fashion that happened last year, I don't think that's going to be tolerated two years in a no, row. I no. really don't. Yeah. I, I think I think they need to get to the playoffs, and I think they need to win a series. And I don't, I don't think that's too much to ask. I think they have the team. I think they have the talent to do it. Um, quite frankly, I thought they had the team and the talent to do it last year, and they just fell apart in the playoffs. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it is do or die – like Stefanski with the Browns, but on a different level. If Stefanski just gets to the playoffs and loses, I think he's fine. Getting to the playoffs is the goal for Stefanski. Yes. And I by any yeah, means necessary. It's hard for me to imagine him going in any scenario if, when they get to the postseason. Sure. No, oh, I agree with that. Um so 
Yeah. No, I I agree. I I I uh I say yes, but with a caveat. I think the Cavs need to take it one step further than the Browns. I think yeah. the Cavs need to win a series. Mm. Uh, just because they got there last year and they should have won the series last year, they didn't. So if you just get there again this year, it's no progression. So, what yeah. improvement have you made? Yeah. So, and again, the owner of the Cavs is not one to just sit idly by and be like, "Oh, that's fine, that's okay." So, um, yeah. So, but I don't think that is too difficult of an ask given the team that he has to win a playoff series. I don't think it's that's too difficult. So, I mean, they should do that. So, anything less would be uncivilized. <laughs> Speaking of uncivilized, the Browns' defense made it a very uncivilized Ugh. life for the 49ers. Every offense on, in the NFL considers the Browns' defense to be uncivilized. And their target this upcoming Sunday is the Indianapolis Colts. Yep. who The fighting have, Minshews. Who have lost their starting quarterback, Anthony Richardson, for the season. Yeah, he's going to have so- shoulder surgery. So, hey. They're also missing. If we don't have Deshaun Watson back this week, hey, it's going to be a battle of backups. So. Yeah, and speaking of that topic, that was interesting today because uh, Deshaun Watson, for the first time in three weeks, spoke to the media today, um, which was initially, especially for me, a sign that he's trending towards playing on Sunday. That maybe it's business as usual again. That's not how it sounded when he was talking. He didn't say he wasn't playing. And the Browns have not said that he's not playing. They continue to say he's day-to-day after that PR nightmare, after, you know, he told every, he told everybody that he was going to play against the Ravens, and the Browns are saying, oh, he's going to play against the Ravens. He's going to play. He's going to play. He he's going to play. Then he didn't play against the Ravens. And then, uh, then they said, oh, yeah, well, we've got the bye week, which is coming at a great time. Yeah, he'll play against the 49ers. And then he didn't play against the 49ers. And, you know, now the Browns are like so friggin' shy with all this. They're just saying nothing but he's day to day. He's day to day. Um, but the most important piece of this whole thing is he once again did not practice today. I'm just going to go ahead and make a prediction right now. He's not playing Sunday. Yeah. I mean, for if he's missed three, he's missed two games, he's missed three weeks. Um, yeah. You would think that before he would go back on there, he would need a full week of practice. And he's already behind the eight ball on that. So, yeah, I I agree with you. At this point, until he practices, I can't say with any sort of confidence or conviction that he's going to play. He's still not practicing. Now, if he comes out and he, and he practices tomorrow and then he practices Friday, yeah, he's probably going to play on Sunday. But he hasn't practiced yet. So I can't say with any confidence that I think he's going to play. I mean, until I'm, I can see that he's throwing passes, I I don't know what everybody's talking about. I don't know why there's all this breathless speculation. Yeah. Show me you throwing the ball. And then I'll be like, okay, he might play. Yeah. Until we see that, I mean, there's nothing to talk about. Right. So, right. but what we can say is that, you know, we've got P.J. Walker. You know, was he 
Was he great on Sunday? No, he wasn't. In no. fact, he made a couple of really crucial errors, he, I mean, too. He, was, he wasn't even good. No. But I think that, again, speaks to the volumes of how good the Browns' defense Well, that and the fact that the Browns' running game looked, for the first time without Nick Chubb, looked pretty good this past week. And that if was you, really significant. If you... Probably the most crazy stat. If you take the Browns have given up nine touchdowns this season. Okay. If you consider that surprising that it's been that many, but it was well, like four listen, in one well, game, listen, so. listen. Let, this is what I'm about to explain. If you take the touchdowns that were a, uh, literally given to the opposing team by the offense, i.e., scoop and score, pick six, that sort of stuff. Combine that with turnovers that ended up in the opponent's red zone when the defense came on the field. The Browns' offense has given opponents five touchdowns. The Browns' defense have given up four. Which means that the defense have only given up four touchdowns that started out there were the touchdown drives for the other team started outside the Browns the red, red zone. zone. Yes. They've we've played five games. Our defense has given up four touchdowns. So that's been two scores that were outright on defense for the other team. Both and were then, against Pittsburgh. And then three that started in the Browns red zone, one of which was this past week against San And two Brown. were against Baltimore. Wow. Yeah. The other two games we didn't even allow the opponents to get in the end zone. We give up three points in both of those games against the Bengals and the Titans. This defense is historic. I know it's only been five games. But if the Browns offense would just stop turning the ball over, this defense would be putting up historical numbers. Like, I'm talking... 85 Bears, 2,000 Ravens, 2,002 Bucks, that sort of stuff. That's what this defense is doing right now. If it wasn't for our offense, turning the ball over. I I mean, through five games, this defense has given up 102 yards of offense to the opponents. That's third best all time ever in the National Football League. That's only happened two. That's only been bested two times. Funny enough, it wasn't the '85 Bears or the 2000 Ravens. It was like the '72 Baltimore Colts and teams from yesteryear. Yeah, from alter eras when they didn't even throw the football and pass very much. Yeah. This defense is absolutely insane and unhinged in the best way possible. So saying all that, it seems like the Browns' strategy for success, and in particular with what if Deshaun Watson is still not playing, is for them to basically just play trestle ball. Pretty and much. what I mean by that is yeah. any drive is good if it ends in a kick. Yes, 100%. Punting is good if you're on the Browns right now. It's actually good. Yeah. I mean, just look at just look at uh you know, just look at uh 
Sunday, if you take out the first drive of the game and that interception that got returned to the eight-yard line, San Francisco scored three points. The first drive of the game, you know, we were looking like, uh uh-oh, you know, this is the best team in the NFL, and they're about to spank us. Yeah, that's how the game started out. And then especially when the Browns got the ball back for their first drive, they drove the ball down the field, but then they threw an interception, which got returned to, like, the 30-yard line. Right. But then the defense did what they did, and they they pushed the 49ers outside of field goal range. Or no, not outside of field goal range. They pushed them on the brink of field goal range, and then Jake Moody, their kicker from Michigan, missed a field goal. That thing very well have been the most critical stretch of the game, aside from, of course, the final kick being missed. Because yeah. you know, Nathan Zagura even said it on the radio after that, that interception happened. You know, this this could get out of hand quickly. You know, so, so the, even the commentators were thinking, "Oh no, this is this this is not going well. This is not this is pretty much what we thought was going to happen." One hundred percent, and that's, I think that's, everybody and their mother was thinking that. Yeah, and that's just credit to the 49ers who have been just so good. Yep. But again, that didn't happen. So credit the Browns' defense. I mean, they took your boy and they actually made him look like he was a seventh. That was Mr. Far and away the worst game of Brock Purdy's career. Like, not even close. Yeah. I mean, he looked horrible. Yeah. He was pressured on 19 of 31 dropbacks. Yeah. In that game. Yeah. There's no, at no point in his career had he ever seen a rush like that in a game. And you talk about, (laughs) uh, you talk, and, 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 you know, I think we had three sacks in the game. Miles Garrett didn't have a sack, but he had four pressures on uh, Trent Williams. That's like having 12 against a normal uh, NFL tackle. Yeah, I mean, that's like the number one tackle in the entire league. Yeah, Trent much. Williams said after the game, who Trent Williams is a bona fide first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle. When he was asked about Miles Garrett, he goes, that's also a Hall of Famer on that side. Mm. I mean, Trent Williams doesn't let anybody get close to touching Brock Purdy. Miles Garrick had four pressures running through Trent I mean, Williams. How many pressures did Micah Parsons have the week before that? Pro- none. Probably none. <laughs> none working on Trent Williams. Um, and it was interesting. There was one play where uh, Miles Garrett just almost threw Trent Williams to the ground, <laughs> which is like, that doesn't happen. But And we also need to talk about the fact that, <laughs> I, you know, listen. I'm not saying we're dumb for this because it's the 49ers. They're the best team in the league. But you especially, and even me too, I did after I saw the pregame skirmish. I mean, we threw money on the Niners. I didn't even give it a second thought. I didn't think there was any way San Francisco wasn't covering. Yeah. I mean, I just... I mean, it was just too much to ask. All the guys that were off, particularly I so- on offense. Yeah, I sort of agreed with my brother Mike, who who he was steadfast the whole game. He said that the Browns are going to keep it close. He did say that they would lose in the end, but he did think that the Browns would keep it close. Um, when I saw that pregame skirmish, I'm like, we're going to get our asses kicked. I think I, I think doing? I I think I I think I tweeted the term we were going to get dog walked. And my reasoning behind it was. I thought the way that the Browns were going to stay in the game is if San Francisco came out completely sleepwalking. Yeah. They're playing they were playing on a short week. They played Sunday night. Uh it was an fly, early game for them. Flying across country. Starting at ten AM Pacific. Starting at ten o'clock their time, you know. I thought it was prime for them to come up sleepwalking. 
and not only that, they're five and zero. They were probably coming in here. Uh, Deshaun Watson's not not playing. Nick Chubb's out. Their best offensive lineman's out. They've been without one of their tackles uh, for the whole season. The other tackle stinks. Uh, you know. So you know they were probably thinking that they had a walk in the park coming. And when that fight happened, I'm like, great. We just woke them up, and now they're going to come out here and try and kick our ass. Little did I know, I didn't know how that fight started when I assumed that. You know how that fight, you know why that fight started? I mean, I what I remember seeing was Debo Samuel and No, I'm talking about the reason why the fight like so that the whole Debo stuff happened when the teams were 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 basically, you know, together and they were trash talking each other. Supposedly the Browns were going through their warm-ups and the 49ers were coming out of their tunnel and they were just gingerly jogging through the Browns drills. Hmm. And the Browns major were, faux pas. Right, and the Browns are just like, "Oh, hell no." Really? You're going to disrespect us by that? We're trying to get our pregame work in and you're just going to run right through our drills? That's what set the whole thing off. I didn't know that until after I placed the bet. There's a psychological move that by the 49ers that they're that trying to get in the Browns' heads, backfired. and the Browns had none of it. It completely backfired. Yeah. So you know what the Browns did? After warm-ups were over, they went back into the locker room before they came out for the game. The Browns copied the, what the 49ers – you know the, you know the 49ers on the road. You know they come out with this big boom box, and they're all, like, dancing and whooping it up and yeah. hooting and holler. The Browns did that. Hmm. It's almost like a pro wrestling match where yeah. – you know, one uses the moves of the of right. the person that they're going at to one up each other. Yeah, hundred percent. I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known that was the reason because I would have totally changed. I put four units on the Niners. Hmm, four units. Jeez, yeah. Because when that fight happened, I'm like, oh great, we woke them up. Now they're gonna come out there and they're just gonna try and kick our ass by like thirty. That's see, that's not good. But at least. When you lose money on a game in which the Browns win, it's not so bad. I mean, True. thank goodness that kick missed because you would have lost the oh bet and God. lost the game outright, too. And lost my mind. <laughs> that would have been the yeah. worst. And not only not only that, but I also uh, went 0-5 in my picks, too. So I lost a lot of money on Sunday. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you started the season 14 I've been kicking ass. And now you're 14 and 11. And I texted you. I'm like, God, I hate the board this week. And did I ever? My you did. God. Boy, I saw that board upside down. I'll tell you what. Man. So. Yeah, you're 14 and 11 on the season. I'm 16 and 14 right now yeah. as we go to week number seven. And. I I don't know. This week's board looks a little more favorable, I think. But yeah. you know, it's never There's still easy, a few more days, so we'll see. To be I, honest, I no. uh, I do feel good about the Browns this week because that de- that defense is just whether. Oh, excuse me, yawning. Um, we're recording this episode a lot later than usual. Ten forty eight p.m. right now. By yeah, the way. Uh, we're gonna wrap things up here in a minute. But uh, yeah, I uh, I feel good about the. Uh, the Browns on Sunday, whether Watson plays or not. Um, we got to come up with a game plan that does not turn the ball over because turnovers are bad no matter where. Turnovers on the road 
are almost a death sentence. Arguably worse than they are at home. Hundred oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Um, so my opinion here's here's the Brown, especially without Watson, without Chubb, obviously that's that's a done deal. He's done for the year. He ain't coming back. So that's just a given. But without Watson too, the Browns' recipe for success, the recipe to win in almost because if you look at the Brown schedule, the tough part of the Brown schedule is over. Kind of. I mean, we did start with Cincinnati, Baltimore, San Francisco, and Pittsburgh. Who, Pittsburgh on the are, road. You know, who is three which and is, two. Which is a Bermuda Triangle you know, for us. It's, it's tough. Like, now, these next two games, I believe both teams are 500. So, yeah. so what I'm, marginally easier, but, you know, not not easy games. But what I'm saying is without, without, without Watson and with the way the defense is playing, if you get – Zero turnovers from the offense, and how the defense has been playing all year. I think the Browns can win, uh, especially Sunday. But I think they'll have a chance to win every game on their schedule the rest of the way. If they use that formula, protect the ball on offense, play incredible defense like they have been. That is the thing. When you have an elite defense, you're almost just, never out of a game. Yes, and just don't turn the ball over. Yeah, it's not like with an offense where it's like some weeks you're putting up 50 points and other weeks right. like, yeah, offenses tend to be less consistent. And defenses, what, usually you know what you're getting. Like the game the Browns had against the Ravens, you're probably only going to have like one or two of those all season. Yeah. Really. Um, now, the thing, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, I whenever I've talked about Indianapolis, I've said that I cannot figure out this team. They are one of the most inconsistent, wild teams from week to week in terms of performance. My gut tells me that this should be a pretty comfortable win for the Browns, but again, just because Indy is so up and down, I wouldn't be surprised by anything happening in this game, quite frankly, particularly if P.J. Walker is the starting quarterback again, which I think he's going to be. Yeah. Um. So right now the Browns are uh, minus two, two and a half or two and a half point favorites for Sunday. Yeah, uh, to me that's a pound the Browns. Like, but again, I hate betting on any games involving the Colts. I really yeah. You, do. I mean, you just said it. They're so unpredictable. But the the steadfastness of the Browns defense leads me to believe that the Browns will win this game. It'll probably be a yucky kind of scoreline. Like I'm thinking something like sixteen to six. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But, uh, and if Watson's not playing, I don't care what the score is. Just win. I mean, Stack I, wins. I'm not really a Gardner Minshew guy. So no, he's a turnover like, machine. <laughs> Listen, Gardner's going to be that way this week because we need some takeaways too. Well, that's the other thing I mentioned. One of these games, the Browns are going to turn a team over three or four times. It's just yeah. going to happen. Um, hopefully it's this week. Right. But It very uh, well could be this week. Yeah. So... We'll see. I tend to agree with you. I think minus two and a half is is Browns all day. I could very easily, I, I very easily see the Browns winning this game by three or more points. Um, so uh, we will see what happens. I think the running game uh, is starting to show signs of life after the Chubb injury. I think we ran for like 180 yards last week. Um, <clears throat> so Kareem Hunt's getting back into the swing of things. He had a touchdown run uh, on Sunday. Um, so that is a good sign. Uh, Jerome Ford rushed for ninety, almost ninety yards on Sunday. That is a good sign. 
Um, <clears throat> so it looks like until we're able to get Deshaun Watson back, the the uh, formula is going to be run the ball and play defense. And like you said, any drive that ends with a kick, whether that's punt or field goal, is good. That's the operative word, <laughs> trestle ball. So Kicks uh, are good. Yeah. Looking around the AFC North here quickly, so Pittsburgh plays at SoFi Stadium against the Rams. That's a game that they are a three-point underdog in. Again, that's almost a pick-up line when you consider home field advantage usually worth about three points. And then you have – talk about a good game here. Yeah, Baltimore could be, could be game of the week. Baltimore hosts – well, there's two games contenders for oh, game of the week. Oh, yeah, that's, the other one, that's yeah. one of them. Um, Detroit, the Lions at 5-1 and one, go to Baltimore to face the Ravens at 4-2. and two. Ah. That is a fantastic matchup. The Ravens are favored by three in that one as well. It's the at Baltimore part that to, sucks. Yeah. To me, that's a pound the lines. I mean, I, I hope so. I, you know, I maybe that's my just hating on Baltimore like I have the whole season up to this point, and I just don't think they're as good as they are. They they always do this. The Ravens always start the season well, but it always finds a way to go sideways at some point. So, well, yeah, know, when that's Lamar Jackson the, gets hurt. Aside from Lamar Jackson's, like, MVP season, that's been the way it's gone. So, you know, why not have it start this week? That's kind of yeah. my thought. The other game that we were referring to uh, is another super game on the board this week. Sunday night game is awesome. Miami yep. playing at Philadelphia, two five and one teams yeah. going at it. That yeah. is, if you like a lot of points being scored, you're probably likely to see it in that one. So, yeah. you know, whoever wins that one's probably going to be number one in your NFL power rankings the next week. So, Most likely, yeah. You know, so depends on. Well, yeah. Probably because of the the win that they'll have garnered uh, on Sunday night, but I think it also depends on how San Francisco bounces back. Uh, uh, yeah, San Francisco is playing at Minnesota. That's the Monday night game, actually. Mm. So uh, Minnesota's won their last two after starting zero and four. So you know, yeah. maybe they've they're a bit resurgent. In terms of lines, I would say lock of the week for me: Kansas City minus five and. Five point five at home against the Chargers. I just I I'm I'm sipping all sorts of haterade on the Chargers at this point. Like, yeah, I'll say though I they're not I, even getting a touchdown against them. Like, come on. I get the heebie-jeebies anytime I hear uh, lock on the spread with the Kansas City Chiefs because they're not good against. They the spread. are not good against the spread. They yeah. were horrible last year. I don't know what they are this year, but they they I don't think they're very good because they played. Some close. Well, they games. didn't cover in Week One. I had them in Week and One. They didn't I don't think that. they covered against the Jets either. That was a close game. They did not cover that one. Yeah. So. Thankfully, I didn't pick them that week. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for us on this episode of uh, LOTL, episode two seventy two. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will be back on Sunday for a post game show. Hopefully, another Browns win. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, to move to four and two on the season it's it potentially you know if we get some friends if we get some help from our friends uh uh north of toledo a browns win could put them in first place in the division yeah or at worst tied depending on what happens out in la right cincinnati is on a bye this week by the way so yeah don't have to worry about them so okay well appreciate you guys listening as always love you guys thanks for listening uh, you can find us on social media at Stiffs McGee and at Daniel J Ford. You can follow the show at the L O T L podcast. 
Uh, as I said, we'll be back on Sunday evening for a post-game show, and uh, we'll see you guys then. So for Steven, I'm Dan, for Champ, who was, uh, you know, doing his thing uh, during the episode, as you heard. Uh, we will see you guys uh, Sunday night. See you.